This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 83. What do you really believe? Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Today, we're going to be talking about the lies we believe about marriage. So this is continuing from our last episode, episode 82, where we talked about the lies we believe about ourselves. You're right. Last week, we talked about the lies, you are what you do, and you are your past, as two of the most common lies that we believe about ourselves. But today, there are going to be two different ones for the lies that we believe about marriage. Well, I'm really excited to hear what you're going to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not necessarily the lies that we believe about our marriage, commonly. Well, because last week, we talked about this idea of half-truths, and how in our culture, there's a lot of messaging going around and and sometimes it's hard to know if it's a truth or it's a lie but the ones that are outright lies the ones that are kind of unjust and evil and and wrong those are pretty easy to spot Mm -hmm. it's the have truths that are tricky and as we discussed last week you are what you do and you are your past there are these have truths behind both of them that sound okay and that sound actually quite believable but when you dig them out and i guess dig underneath the surface you see how uh, it's it's really leading to a life that i don't think anyone really wants Right. It was really eye-opening for me because if you listen to episode 82, you can go to inbetween.org slash episode 82. Daniel, you asked me a few questions about my past Mm -hmm. and my childhood and um, sort of the whole gamut around that. And then me realizing, oh my goodness, that actually, the framework of that was what I based some of my life upon. And really the reason why I burnt out twice, once in high school and once in university. So it was very eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that subtle kind of deceptive nature of these half-truths. So the two that we're going to be talking about today as it relates to marriage are from my upcoming book, You Are What You Do, and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. This book releases February 4th. There are seven lies that I articulate and kind of unpack in the book. Today, we're going to be talking about two of them and, and really talk about how they relate to marriage. Now, if you're interested in picking up a copy of the book, it's going to be sold wherever books are sold. But if you buy it before the release date on February 4th, then you'll actually get a special. There's going to be, you'll be able to get the book at half off as well as the ebook right away. So to know how to redeem that, yeah, to know how to redeem that, just go to daniellim.com slash U-R-Y-O-U-A-R- you are or just go to inbetween.org slash episode 83 and there'll be a link to that but the big thing is it's only before the book actually releases afterwards it's going to be whatever price people put it at i don't know so don't (laughs) miss out because who doesn't like half off yes and a free book yeah for sure that's pretty much like getting it for free well yeah because you get two Right, you get exactly. the print book for half exactly. off, and you get the ebook immediately. So, there so you go. pretty much, like I said, yeah. <laughs> free. Who doesn't love free? Okay, so let's start with the first lie that we believe about marriage from your book, and that lie is that you are who you know. So, um, 
what's the uh, half truth behind this lie? Because um, I do know lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the lie, just plainly put, you are who you know. It doesn't seem that deceitful. It doesn't seem that bad. It just kind of seems neutral, right? Mm-hmm. You are who you know. Yeah, I, I guess the people around you affect you and all that. But the half truth is actually that the people you know hold the power to shape you. Hmm. Now, I get how that would be maybe dangerous if they're negative. Like mm-hmm. I know we talk about with our kids um, about don't hang around the wrong people because you can become like them and it's easier to go down versus up. But what about the people that are good? Like, I love you. You're, you're good to me. And um, I there's so many characteristics that I want to amplify that you have. So what's wrong with that? Like, there's a give and take in relationships no yeah there definitely is there definitely is and i'm not saying that you got to be completely by yourself and not let anyone influence you in lonely, any way <laughs> so lonely yeah it's impossible it's impossible because we give we take relationships are all about that and and we learn from one another as well and so yeah you know what it is true that the people we know hold the power to shape us but here's where we need to be careful If we're not careful, this lie can actually lead to isolation rather than connection. Hmm. Really? Uh, How so? Well, uh, for an example, let's think about the rise of the hookup culture and dating apps. Okay, so the thing about these dating apps is that you can essentially be whoever you want to be, right? Whenever, wherever, and to whomever. So on these apps, you can overemphasize the good while hiding the not so pretty. And and once you meet that person that you want to be with, don't you feel connected, right? When you meet someone new and, and there's kind of love in the air or, or maybe some attraction here and there, there's a spark. Oh, definitely. And yeah. there's that connection that we feel emotionally. But then what about the next day? Is it still there, right? Especially when the person that you felt most connected to has now ghosted you and disappeared. Oh, Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Well, and I guess I can see how that works with social media too, especially even with our kids who don't have social media. So for those who don't know, we have a 10, 8, and 5-year-old and they are not on Instagram or Facebook or anything with their own profiles. However, because we as their parents are on social media, they're obviously in some of our pictures and we talk about them and so on and so forth. So this became really interesting when we started to, when we we moved back to Edmonton and started going to the same church that we went to five years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, these people have not seen our kids in five years. You know, they haven't come visited us, so on and so forth. But as soon as we entered in the doors, these people came up to us and we were like, oh, hi, so-and-so. And, oh, it's so great to see you. I've watched you grow up. How was the zoo yesterday? Yeah, kids, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And all our kids were like, what in the world? Like, I don't know you. How do you know we were at the zoo yesterday? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you pretending? to know me when I'm not connected to you at all. Yes. So there's that sense of connection that those in our church had. But the thing is, it's not actually a real connection because there wasn't that person-to-person, face-to-face connection. It was one way. And what's interesting is as much as we might feel connected, if a lot of our relationships are like this, it can actually lead to isolation rather than connection. Because you are watching the person, you're not actually getting to know the person, Yes, right? yeah. But it, it but it kind of satisfies that sense of connection 
on the surface because you know what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's, It's like, oh, yeah, of course I know. But then you meet them in person and it's just super awkward because there was no real connection right and then there are there's actually feelings of isolation and it can lead to isolation when you do meet in person it's it's really amazing how our smartphones have created this 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 constant sense of connection that really when we were kids christina we did not have right so let's think about the times when we were in elementary school and we said goodbye to friends who were moving away or we said goodbye and they went to one school and we went to another when we said goodbye... It was goodbye. Yeah, it was. Like, we had no idea whether we would ever see them again or know them again. Yeah, mm-hmm. we might have had their phone number, but even if we had their phone number and they moved to another country, or new, another province, right, or another country, there's no way we were actually going to be able to connect with them on a constant basis. Exactly. So back then, we had no idea. Whereas right now, every time we say goodbye, even to all of our friends in Nashville, it wasn't as dramatic, right? I mean, yes, there were tears. It was sad in that we weren't going to see them on a daily basis. But honestly, I was connecting with friends from Nashville yesterday. I mean, you were texting with me yesterday too. Yeah, So we're online. There's this sense of constant connection that we now have. So if we're constantly connected to one another because of our smartphones and because of social media, um, how is it possible that our phones are simultaneously leading us to disconnection and isolation? Because I like, for example, with our national friends, I do feel connected to them. I don't feel isolated. Well, here's an example. Have you ever used your phone in front of another person? Like that you were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So choosing to scroll through social media, read the news or answer emails instead of engaging in a conversation with those around you. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I try really hard not to. <laughs> but I think my default is, you know, if they like got up to go to the restroom or something, I'm pulling out my phone. Yeah. Or even if you're in a group of people and all of a sudden things are you get a buzz and you aren't necessarily being directly like you're not directly in a conversation other people around you are in a conversation sometimes you kind of look and oh it's a notification oh it's this and you just kind of start scrolling and the next thing you know everyone's talking they ask you a question and you're like what what <laughs> i wasn't listening yes or what about the last time you were at a coffee shop or a restaurant with another person was your phone face up so that you didn't miss whatever it is that you were waiting for or was it face down So we've all done this, right? Yes. We've all done it. And I mean, there's this official survey that I saw back. I know it's a little bit older, 2014. And in that survey, about a third of those surveyed admitted to occasionally using their phones to get this, avoid interacting with other people in public spaces. Oh, I totally see this all the time. (laughs) Yep. But that's 2014. Six years later, in a few of my unofficial surveys, I found it to be over 80%. Whoa, that's a huge jump. So that's really like the mass majority of people are using their phones so that they can avoid quote unquote awkward spaces or conversations. Yeah. So here's the question. Why are we opting out of present moments, embodied moments in person, in the flesh with other people to scroll through other people's past experiences? Because that's what it is when you're yeah, on really is. social media. It's everyone's past Everything's experience. happened already. Exactly. So last week we talked about this idea of the gig economy, right? The gig economy being this new normal where people are 
choosing to be paid for their time, skills, possessions, or expertise, right? It's this idea of being self-employed in a part-time or a full-time capacity, and uh, maybe it's selling something on Facebook Marketplace or using your car for Uber or babysitting for someone else or you know any of these side hustles, quick jobs that we end up doing. So with the gig economy, freedom is the thing that it promises most. Freedom is the allure of the gig economy. So the, the idea is that, hey, you are actually going to have, here's how the lie goes, you will have more flexibility in your schedule to spend time with your loved ones, with your spouse, with your significant others, and spend money on experiences. That's the promise, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have more flexibility in your schedule to do all this. But the reality is the gig economy actually leads us to the opposite, it was like that guy you mentioned last week who was our Uber driver. Right. He was saying, hey, I'm actually going to be, uh, I'm, I'm in, I know my whole family is hanging out right now at home Sunday afternoon, but I'm working so that I can provide for them and I can do this and all that. And right, the, the, the motive is there. Hey, I want to work so that eventually I'm going to have more time to spend with them. But the false logic and all that is that right now you're not with them. And who knows if you're even going to have that time to spend with them in the future. Exactly. So it's almost like you're banking on quality time versus quantity of time with, you know, your loved ones or your family. When in reality, can you actually have quality time with someone that you don't know? No, you don't. And you know how you get to know them? Quantity of time. Precisely. Precisely. So when it comes to this lie that you are who you know, you see how, uh, I guess, multifaceted and multi-leveled it is, especially as it relates to our marriage. Right. It's this idea of, yeah, well, we're spending time with each other. We're eating together. We're lying in bed together. We're always with each other. Now, we might be lying in bed and looking at our phones and feeling connected to other people. But, you know, we're spending that quantity time together. But what ends up happening is it can actually we can actually lose out on all quality time because we're choosing to stay connected to others and be connected, constantly connected to others on our phones rather than putting that down and being with one another instead. Right. And if you think about it too, even the brain science behind that is, you know, when you're scrolling through and you're posting pictures and all that, you're wanting those dopamine hits of the likes and the comments and the hearts and all of that. Whereas in real life, if you're not careful, even with your spouse, maybe you won't have those dopamine hits because you are so used to being encouraged somewhere else or somehow else. And with your spouse, you've forgotten even how to connect with them, how to talk to them, how to be interested in their life in real time. Yeah. So this is how it affects your marriage, right? Because you can be you can kind of have all that dopamine and all of that satisfaction hit already because people were commenting and liking and doing all this on social media that when you're together with your spouse, it's boring. Mm -hmm. And you already got satisfied, quote unquote, other, other ways because you already feel connected. You already feel fulfilled somehow in some way through a false way. It's not real connection Mm -hmm. that you actually kind of, it's like you're eating a candy bar before dinner even though the dinner is going to be Brazilian barbecue. You ate like five candy bars and it's like, yeah, oh, I'm full. And there's no way I can eat that. And then two two hours later, you get a sugar crash and you're incredibly hungry because Mm -hmm. it was all kind of bad calories that you took. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber and author of the Dead Sea Squirrels. 
Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Again, so you see how this lies so deceptive, right? Yes. I mean, the internet, smartphones, and the rise of this gig economy gives us the impression that we are connecting with one another, but the reality is it's actually doing the very opposite. All of this is actually exacerbating the problems of disconnection, isolation, and loneliness that we have, which ultimately, and this is a scary thing, as a society, we're actually more disconnected than ever before, even though it seems like we should be the most connected. Because we can be in yes. some senses, right? Yeah, yeah, through a cheap way. Mm-hmm. And as a culture, there's actually sociologists that have discovered there's a decline in trust now, and it's all related to this. Well, and then an increase in mental health issues, right? Anxiety, depression, comparison, all of this. And so it's really interesting. I remember talking to a friend who's a high school teacher and he was saying that he feels part of his role now, wasn't before when he was starting out teaching, but his role now is to help teenagers learn how to engage in conversation, Mm. how to show your body language, showing the other person that you are engaged, that you're listening, that you care, that you're empathetic. You make eye contact you don't scroll on your phone you know when you're supposed to be listening and how to ask open-ended questions and all of these things because while you're texting or while you're on your phone you have not learned how to do that and so you think about let's say you know he's very proactive in this but what if these teenagers didn't have someone teaching them these skills Mm -hmm. as they grow up into adults and to get married and you know have a family and so on and so forth what will the relationship look like if you can't show empathy if you can't ask open-ended questions and care about people if you can't make eye contact with your spouse because you don't know how like how isolating would that be really right yeah yeah exactly you're so right all right let's go on to number two so the second lie that we believe about marriage that's from your book is the lie that you are what you experience Hmm. what's the half truth behind this Well, the half-truth is that the things you experience shape your memories and your perception of self. Oh, well, how is that a half-truth? Because I think that's 100% true. (laughs) Yes, okay. So it's true that our experiences are a part of ourselves, right? That the experiences we have together and as a couple, it's a part of ourselves. It's a part of who we are. But if we're not careful, and this is where the truth becomes that half-truth and becomes that deceptive, subtle lie that can grate away at who we are, if we're not careful, chasing after experiences can actually become a god in our lives. Hmm. So um, are you saying that experiences have now become more valued or more important or sought after than stuff and like things? Yes, it is. It really has when you look at the research. So let's here's an example. Let's say that someone gave you $300, Christina. Well, thank you very much. Okay, And you couldn't save it. You couldn't use it to pay down debt. You couldn't give it away. What would you spend that $300 on? 
Um, let me think. Uh, right off the bat, I think I'd like the well, three hundred dollars. I can't buy the Peloton bike, yeah. but I can buy the workout app, which is really cool. There you go. Um, maybe well, we live in winter now, so maybe some winter boots or you know a hat or something like that. That's really cool. That's awesome. We live in winter, <laughs> pretty do. much in Narnia, pretty much like pre Aslan coming back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I don't really really need those things. Um. You know what? I think I'd if we had three hundred dollars, someone gave that to me. I think I'd actually really because we live in winter would want to take all of us on a skiing trip to introduce the kids to skiing because they've never known how to do that. So that'd be really cool because that's something you and I used to do together all the time. Yeah. Now, isn't it interesting how you didn't say you'd use the money to buy the kids skis that you'd actually use it to take them on a skiing trip? Or, and get ex, get lessons or, or an experience for them instead? Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's part. I'm Well, I mean, if they don't like it, then yes. <laughs> we're not going to buy it for them, right? Yeah. So according to the research, as a society, we're actually spending more money on experiences than things. And there's a ton of data. It's actually kind of crazy how credit card companies have all that data as well. Oh, scary. And they're discovering that we're spending. And this isn't just a millennial thing. It's actually an every generation thing where we are now actually spending more money on experiences than things. Well, and I think every Christmas this comes up more and more, like seeing on different blog posts and, you know, Facebook and all of that, where articles come out about, you know, the top 25 experiences that you can give to your kids instead of giving them stuff. Because I think we all have a lot of stuff. And do your kids need any more like cheap plastic toys or do you need more things that you need to file away or find a spot for no but if your experiences then you have like moments together and memories and instagram photos for it too right <laughs> yeah you're right so here's why uh, this lie that you are what you experience here's here's where actually it, it becomes dangerous for marriages okay i love social media Love the way that it can connect us together with others, especially because for us, Christina, we don't live in the same mm -hmm. city as our families. And we have a lot of friends all over the world where we've lived and visited, right? But the problem, especially as it relates to marriage, is that is is that of comparison, right? The problem with social media is comparison. And, and that's where it becomes dangerous because let's imagine we just got in a fight. Or we were disappointed because we've been eating the same thing for the last few meals, uh, because we were tighter on our budget and we just had to clear out the fridge. Or, or what? we just cooked a huge turkey and <laughs> had to finish the turkey. Yep. <laughs> yes. Right. And we're we're kind of dealing or having a pity party with these emotions. And then we go on social media because we're bored or we're trying to look for an escape. And we see our friend all dressed up with their spouse on a date. And they're eating a rack of lamb, mint jelly. You know, they're doing the whole thing. Uh, do you think that would lead you to greater contentment in your marriage or not? Oh, yeah. A greater contentment <laughs> for me eating my leftover turkey sandwiches in my pajamas, of course. <laughs> yeah, with like tooth toothpaste yeah, stains on your exactly. shirt, right? <laughs> like, this sucks. Yeah, right. dried mascara on my face, <laughs> all of it. Right, so it's impossible not to compare. Exactly. Impossible. Yeah. So, yes, you can like your friend's photos. You can try to be happy for them. But when you only see their Instagram-worthy photos and not everything else that's going on behind the scenes for them, like the way that they use credit card debt to finance that vacation they're in or the way that you they use credit card debt to pay for that new kitchen that mm -hmm. looks amazing on Instagram mm -hmm. 
or even the fact that you see a picture of an amazing meal, but it's your coworker eating all by themselves at a restaurant because their family is actually thousands of miles away at home. Mm-hmm. You don't know that backstory. You don't see that backstory. And because you don't see that backstory, it's impossible not to fall into that trap of comparison. Well, I think even if you know the backstory it, and you know that, let's say, uh, they are having their anniversary dinner and you're not, it's still hard to be like, oh, like, I wish I wish I was celebrating my anniversary so I could get dolled up and go out with my spouse, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that whole idea of perception of reality, right? So our perception of their reality is actually distorted. It is, since we only see the good times they're experiencing. I mean, who takes a photo of their past due bills? Or who takes a video of their children fighting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or their scratched up coffee table? Or, or their amazing laminate countertop without a backsplash? I mean, no one does that. No one does that, which is why our perception of reality is so distorted for other people. And and this is actually how our then our perception of reality gets distorted as well. And why we so easily believe this lie that we are what we experience It's because we're just constantly living in this state of comparison, not because we want to, but just because it's the air that we're breathing. And and then, Christina, what happens after we do finally live up to those dreams and we, we do have that Instagram picture that is comparable to someone else and we get that that vacation, you know, that that airplane wing photo oh, yeah. with, with the, the picture sunset. of sunset. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you satisfied after you get that? Yeah, for a couple of days yeah. and then I come home and have to do laundry. <laughs> yeah. And that's where this lie is so dangerous for everyone, but particularly for marriages, because comparison begets more comparison. It always does. And if you fall into the trap of comparison, which this lie kind of feeds off of, someone is always going to one-up you, right? Even if you had a better experience than other people, how would you feel if they got more likes on social media (gasps) (laughs) or more experiences than you? I mean, that's, that's only half of it, right? So the reality is comparisons is zero sum game and underneath it all, there's no end to it. There's Mm -hmm. no end to comparison and there's no end to this lie that you are what you experience because there's always going to be more comparison. So instead of quenching the flames of jealousy and envy that's in our hearts, experiences, experiences actually end up fanning jealousy and envy. It does. It does. Instead of saying, finally, we got to go on the vacation, I'm done it just fans it it's even more. It's given oxygen to that comparison. Yeah, because once the experience is over, it's over. Yes, you can buy the souvenir, you can make a scrapbook and all that, but then eventually you're going to want another experience or another high and you're going to either feel good about yourself because you have better experiences than others or you're going to feel bad about yourself. Not because you want to, but it just kind of naturally happens. Mm-hmm. Well, going back, Daniel, to the example you were using about, you know, someone eating uh, by themselves at a fancy restaurant, taking that picture of the perfect laid out food. And the background story is, you know, they have their family thousands of miles away. But as you're looking at the Instagram photo, you're just drooling over the food and, you know, wishing that you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
really reminds me of when you, when we lived in Nashville and you traveled a lot, I'd be on your Instagram and your Insta stories and um, seeing you, you know, meet all these famous people or, you know, even meeting our friends uh, that we know from other places or you going out to this special restaurant mm-hmm. because, you know, you do have to eat and you're not at home. So you're eating at these fancy restaurants with yummy food. If I wasn't careful, I would become Mrs. Grumblepants mm. at home because I'm looking at you having so much fun and eating at these different restaurants and being able to stay at these swanky hotels and me looking around and, you know, seeing dishes in the sink and laundry to be done and kids to be put to bed. And I'd be like, oh, woe is me. I just don't have a life that is glamorous as my husband. Mm. When in reality, I know time and time again, and I even know this myself as I travel away from the kids and the family, that you cannot wait to get home, that you would rather be, you know, in your PJs at home with putting your kids to bed and Mm -hmm. reading them bedtime stories and giving them hugs and kisses and being with your spouse on the couch and just talking about your day or even eating home cooked meals. Like it's great to eat in the restaurants once or twice, but afterwards you're just like, oh, all I want is the comfort food of my home. Yes. So, yeah, I totally see how that could be a lie um, that's really dangerous for marriages because if I didn't see that part behind the scenes and know that about you, I think I'd be really envious and jealous and be like, well, why can't I be like this? Yeah, and then you go on those trips and you feel the exact same thing. (laughs) You see the truth on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that's the thing with each of these lies about marriage. The good news is that there is actually truth on the other side to both of them. And that's what I reveal and unpack in my book. So my book, You Are What You Do, is not just a tell all of how nasty and horrible these lies are and it, you know makes you feel bad about yourself. No, I actually present and articulate, hey, here are the ways that we believe these lies, how it affects us, uh, why it's actually dangerous to build our lives upon those lies and what the truth is on the other side. So as I mentioned before, my book is releasing February 4th, and there are there is a pre-order bonus, a pre-sale bonus. So if you buy the book before February 4th, you'll actually get 50% off the cost of the print book, and you'll get an ebook right away if you go to daniellim.com slash UR. Now, if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever, and you look up the book, it's going to be full price right now. So you have to go to daniellim.com slash UR for the specific link and for instructions to know how to get 50% off the book and get the ebook right away. Just But just make sure that you do that before February 4, because after that, I think there'll be still some discount, but it's definitely not going to be 50% and you're not going to get the print and the ebook. And then you're going to be missing out. <laughs> and then you're going to be sad because you're going to be on Instagram and all your friends got it 50% off and you didn't. And did you get an ebook? No. And your friends are not going to share. So, you know. Oh, Christina. <laughs> Don't miss out. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So last week we talked about the lies that we believe about ourselves. Today, the whole episode was about the lies that we believe about marriage. And next week, we're going to be talking about the lies we believe about parenting. All right. So if there's someone that came to mind, as you listen to this podcast, hey, maybe your spouse doesn't listen to it, but you're like, hey, we should listen to this together and talk about it. Just hit the share button on your podcasting app and send that over to them or just send them the link in between.org slash episode 83. They'll get it. You guys will have a conversation. Then you can pick up the book and have a great 
reading club. In fact, uh, we're actually going to be, I don't know if it's going to be ready for the time the book comes out, but we are going to be developing some reading questions if you did want to do a reading group around the book. Ooh, wonderful. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening in and we will catch you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.